Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Masterclass Corruption in the Maritime Industry. My name is Lizette smith Benemir, Master Coordinator of Commercial Law here at the Erasmus University, and I will be your host today, together with Linda Treumann, uh, the representative of Rotterdam Maritime Services Community. In case we have questions from the audience, Please do not hesitate to post, post them in the chat uh, and Linda will make sure your questions are answered today. Per the 1st of June, the European Prosecutor's Office started investigating corruption. In the Netherlands, we were still too upset about the COVID crisis, mouth mask deal, and the European, and too excited about the European uh, championships that we hardly noticed. What is corruption? Transparency International describes it as follows. We define corruption as the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. Corruption can take many forms and can include behaviors like public servants demanding and taking money for of favors in exchange for services, politicians misusing public money or granting public jobs uh, or contracts to their sponsors, friends and family, corporations bribing officials to get lucrative deals. Corruption can happen anywhere, in businesses, governments, the courts, the media and in civil society and across all sectors from health and education, infrastructure and sports. Today we, we discuss the maritime sector. Corruption can have severe consequences. It might have caused the explosions in the Lebanon Harbour or the disaster uh, of the MV Express in Sri Lanka. How can maritime practitioners protect themselves? In the maritime sector, is the maritime sector overly vulnerable to corruption? Most commercial activities in the industry are international and each regime has different regulations. Does this promote corruption? If you're asked to ensure or negotiate uh, in the industry, how likely is it that you're caught in corruptive deals? What can service providers in the maritime industry do to shield their, their clients from these risks? To help us unravel all of this, I have invited three wonderful speakers uh, who, joined, uh, who have joined me here today, partly virtual and partly live in the Erasmus studio in Rotterdam to represent three different perspectives on the situation. Furthermore, it is up to the viewers and the listeners to post their questions and Linda Treumann will try to get them answered from the panel. Our first panelist, uh, criminologist Professor Richard, Richard Staring, uh, he recently published a report on the Rotterdam Harbour authorities and for the city of Rotterdam about the difficult task to ban drugs crime from the harbour. To represent the lawyer standpoint in defense of his clients and in these cases we have invited Eric Vitchens uh, of Mount Law. To represent the prosecutors we have invited Emile de Jode uh, who's partner of Tenholter Nordam lawyers and specialist in advising clients to stay out of trouble. <laughs> uh, now Eric let's start with you. Uh, please explain um, the uh, corruption, is there uh, already legislation in place to prevent corruption? 
Thanks, Lisette. Yes, uh, obviously there is a legal framework uh, in place and it has been uh, for a long time. Um, notable uh, foreign uh, legislation uh, would be the UK Bribery Act and the US Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Um, and obviously also the criminal law code in uh, the Netherlands uh, outlaws forms of corruption. But the interesting thing is that um, the focus on corruption has increased. And this has uh, a couple of reasons. The first one is uh, there has been more pressure to act uh, against corruption from um, different NGOs. Uh, Transparency International uh, comes to mind as they uh, make a list of uh, corruptest practices in um, in different countries and they rank them. Um, Another source of more focus on corruption uh, is from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists who uncover uh, corrupt practices also abroad. Um, And lastly, there is um, um, the OECD Anti-Bribery Convention to which um, the Netherlands is a member. Um, And they have a working group that every once in a while gives an update on how a country is doing. And the last time they uh, took focus on the Netherlands, it wasn't that great. And that really uh, struck a nerve. And uh, you can see that the national authorities in the Netherlands stepped up their game because of that. And to give you an idea, uh, the National Public Prosecutor's Office for Financial, Economic and Environmental Offenses um, recently um, noted that at this point there are 25 cases towards uh, foreign corruption that are being investigated. So that's quite a lot. And apart from the Dutch uh, authorities who are um, focused on um, combating corruption, you now also have, as you mentioned in the introduction, the European Public Prosecutor's Office, um, a new office Mm -hmm. that will try and show its worth. So even more reason to um, be very aware of uh, corruptive practices. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen that the UK Bribery Act is from 2011, so all of the legislation is quite recent. Um, This means a lot of effort is made to combat corruption, especially recently. Uh, What did this mean for the maritime industry? Well, there have already been uh, a couple of high-profile cases in the maritime sector. Um, In the Dutch uh, legal sphere, um, the most well-known concerns SBM Offshore in 2014, so a couple of years ago, who um, went to the public prosecutors themselves and uh, made a settlement for 240 million uh, euros um, because they had made a lot of uh, payments to agents uh, in Brazil, also Angola and Equatorial Guinea. Um, And it was ascertained that it probably had to do with corruption. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another well-known case uh, concerns Keppel Offshore and Marine, which wasn't uh, a Dutch case, but a Singapore case. And they were fined 422 million. Um, and that's that's a large number. Uh, but the facts, uh, you know, they, they, um, uh, they yeah, stand for that because um, the CEO of Keppel was one of the people who authorized uh, third-party agents to actually bribe officials for uh, Petrobras contracts. Um, So that Mm -hmm. was a big deal. Um, So these were two settlements that uh, were publicized. 
But also in recent press coverage, there's been a number of maritime companies that have been um, implicated. Um, last year, Van Oort was mentioned in Angola uh, in the press that they uh, probably did business with a company that belonged to the daughter of a former president, of the former president. Uh, and uh, the company was allowed to keep uh, an excessive uh, amount of money for well, it's questionable what they did to receive it. Again, these are uh, press uh, reports, so mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it's uh, corruption, but there are some red flags there. Um, also last year, Maersk in Brazil, uh, was um, their offices there were raided because uh, the allegation is that uh, one of their executives tried to bribe a Petrobras uh, executive for confidential information. Um, and this year, uh, recently, the Belgian press, um, they reported on Deme, uh, who won a contract in Russia. Um, and uh, they were in the running against Jan de Nul, another well-known uh, Belgian dredger. Um, and the report uh, concludes that a former um, employee of Deme was associated with the company who was actually tasked with um, giving the contract to the selected party. And uh, it turned out, or it is reported that uh, Deme paid uh, a couple of million to this person and was awarded the contract. Wow. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a problem. Yeah, and it's it's quite a list of uh, cases, and, uh, and and it's you know enormous amount involved. Um, what are the possible consequences for these companies? Yeah, well, let me reiterate first. You know, um, the first two I mentioned are actual settlements. Yeah. The other ones are um, probably under investigation or have only been reported upon. So. You know, you don't know what the consequences will be. Mm. Um, but in a, in a situation where a company is um, thought to have uh, committed uh, corruption, uh, well, firstly, there's the monetary consequences. Um, you can be fined, obviously. And I'm talking now about Dutch law. You should mm. um, remember that if, for instance, the U.S. government gets involved, which happens from time to time because there are uh, a number of cases which have uh, multiple jurisdictions. But the fines tend to be uh, quite high. Um, the, the regular fine would be 87,000 euros for a single count of corruption, which for a large corporation is not that much, which is why you can actually go one up to 870,000 euros, which starts to be a considerable amount. But if that's still uh, not deemed to be a reasonable uh, punishment, they can actually fine up to 10% of the revenue of the year before the facts worldwide. So that's an enormous amount. So the leeway for fines is, is very large. And then one should remember that it's not just the fines that are at stake. Um, the proceeds from the alleged uh, facts, the offenses, they can be confiscated. So mm -hmm. if uh, you earned 200 million, that might be 200 million you will have to give back because they were earned through corruption. So the, the, the amounts are, are extremely high. Mm -hmm. But apart from the monetary consequences, um, there's a number of other consequences that companies uh, should take into account, um, especially if you're in um, settlement talks with the public prosecutor's office 
there will be some negotiation. Uh, and there's a number of things to be negotiated. Firstly, the public relations damage. Um, it's mandatory that there will be a press release. Mm -hmm. But you will want to have a factual statement that yeah. doesn't um, cause more damage than it has to. So, you know, one of the things I do in my business is negotiate a text that is reasonable. Um, another major uh, consequence for companies um, is the possible disqualification of public contracts. If mm -hmm. you are uh, indeed found guilty of corruption, you yeah. might be um, disqualified from public contracts. Now, you can um, argue that going into a settlement, uh, a non-prosecution -prosecu agreement, has a distinct advantage. Because mm -hmm. while these um, settlements tend to... Um, well, be more costly than actually going to a judge, as we saw, SBM uh, paid 240 million. It has the advantage that you don't actually legally um, are found guilty. Mm. So you don't admit guilt, which also means you're not disqualified from public contracts in the future, which is a huge bonus, obviously. Um, but then other consequences, if you want to settle with the public prosecutor, you will have to shore up your compliance if it was lacking. Uh, it's something Emil will uh, talk about uh, uh, later. Um, and possibly if there's uh, a number of personnel who were actually uh, involved with um, the corruption, you will, well, want to let go of this personnel because you cannot expect the public prosecutor to expect that a person who went uh, the wrong way very um, badly to, um, to make amends and not um, make the same mistake in the future, mm -hmm. which is also something Emil will talk about. You know, what are the, the things you will have to take into account if you want to let go of personnel? Um, so, yeah, I think that's the, the main consequences we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but looking into the cases you mentioned, uh, looking at these, these consequences, is, it's almost like it's a, a regular practice in these business deals, isn't it? Because there's a lot of money involved. Um, how do uh, these companies get accused of corruption? Right. Well, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, that uh, the corruptive practices are um, the normal way of doing business. Sometimes it's more um, the opportunity arises for corruption to take place. Um, and the way these allegations come to light, there's a number, but, but to point out a few. I think uh, an important one, and one that companies don't always understand, are uh, obligations from service providers, uh, for instance, banks and accountants. If payments are made to, for instance, third-party agents, which are normally high amounts, mm -hmm. which are maybe divided uh, um, in multiple bank accounts, uh, some banking accounts with the agent, some banking account on offshore um, entities, then you should be aware. And this is typically a situation uh, during which an accountant might ask if, to, uh, if the company could explain it. Um, and you should be aware of these questions because if uh, an accountant is asking these questions, 
you should be aware as a company that the accountant, if the um, explanation isn't satisfactory, uh, they will be obliged to make uh, a notification to the financial intelligence unit, which is a clearinghouse uh, which looks at different notifications. And if they think, wow, this is really a possible uh, situation of corruption, they will forward it to the um, public prosecutor's office. Mm -hmm. So a company should be aware of that. Uh, another uh, way in which uh, allegations come to light is um, the fact that different governments have uh, uh, cooperation. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, um, the Petrobras scandal in Brazil had a lot of fallout of different scandals that were associated with it. Um, and also among the cases I, I, um, I mentioned before, for instance, Maersk, it was actually uncovered in uh, Petrobras car wash. And the Brazilian uh, authorities can go to the Dutch authorities and maybe maybe it's an informal setting during a congress and mm -hmm. just mention, you know, this was one of the things we found. Maybe you want to do something with that. Um, and another very fertile ground, I think, uh, these days uh, is reporting by investigative uh, journalists. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, the, the case I mentioned or the reports I mentioned about Van Oort in Angola uh, was uncovered in the Luanda leaks by the mm -hmm. investigative journalists and um, also the Panama Papers uh, brought to light yeah. all kinds of uh, situations of corruptions. So yeah. that's uh, a, a situation in which the um, governments are yeah, notified by external sources, as it were. Mm -hmm. And a last uh, but important uh, source is self-reporting by a company. Mm -hmm. If a company uncovers uh, possible corruption uh, and wants to avoid uh, to be prosecuted and be brought for a judge, um, you might self-report to uh, the public prosecutors. And this is, for instance, what SBM Offshore did in 2014. They self-reported. Okay. Uh, but does this uh, make uh, maritime companies overly sensitive to corruption practices? And that's a good question. Um, in a way, maybe it does. And uh, that harks back to uh, the list of Transpar Transparency International. I already mentioned that. They have this ranking on the Corruption Perception Index. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of projects and a lot of business being done in countries that rank very poorly. Mm -hmm. um, from my perspective as a criminal uh, defense attorney, this is uh, a red flag if something happens, because if something happens, then uh, in a case file, there will be reports, you know, uh, this country ranks very poorly and the company should have taken adequate measures. They didn't. So, yeah. you know, and then the stage has been set. And um, so that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is, if you participate in uh, bigger projects and um, you do business with partners with strong governmental ties, that's also a red flag. And this was also what I meant, uh, mentioned about Van Oort in Angola. If your um, business partner is owned by uh, someone with political influence, so the um, ultimate beneficiary owner, as it's called, is someone that is politically exposed, you should be careful. You should do your due di diligence. Mm -hmm. um, another major um, source of these types of problems stems with agents. 
if you don't have uh, clear contracts with your agents stipulating that corruption is you know, non-negotiable, it will not be done, then it might happen that an agent in the country thinks, well, you know, I have uh, a lot of money to spend. I could also spend it in a certain way to make sure I get uh, certain contracts. So as a country, you, as a company, you cannot close your eyes to these uh, things. You need to be alert and you need to make sure your agents know that this is uh, not acceptable. Yeah. Um, another uh, red flag is the structure of payments. As I mentioned, you know, if it's uh, partly on a regular account, partly offshore, that's that's just something you shouldn't be doing. Mm. Um, and then you have obviously the the petty corruption when you know if a ship enters harbor, uh, different uh, low level officials will want their palms greased, as it's called. They want uh, certain uh, payments. Uh, facilitation payments, as uh, as they're also known, to do their work yeah. or uh, to uh, make things more smoothly. Um, another situation is personnel that uh, assist criminals in um, gaining access to terminals, for instance, and uh, who are getting paid to do that. Um, it's what they call petty corruption, but it's also a big problem. Mm. Okay. Um Okay, before we uh, start discussing how uh, we can prevent ourselves uh, towards corruption, uh, I think it's nice to watch uh, a little movie uh, from the Global Maritime uh, Anti-Corruption Network, founded in 2011, uh, whose uh, aim is to ban the maritime, uh, to ban corruption from the maritime world. So uh, let's watch that first and. Um The Maritime Anti-Corruption Network, MACN, is a global business network tackling corruption in the maritime industry. How do we work? Captains taking ships into port often face demands for bribes or facilitation payments of cash, cigarettes, soft drinks or alcohol. The threat of long delays, along with threats to their personal safety, places captains in an extremely difficult position. To empower our captains to say no to these demands, we as shipping companies and organizations involved in the maritime value chain come together through MACN, engaging in regular communication, including on our challenges and lessons learned, we develop shared principles, trainings, tools and campaigns, helping each member company to strengthen its approach to tackling corruption. At the same time, we understand that even with perfect policies, if the demand persists, then the challenge remains. That's why we collaborate with key stakeholders in the maritime community, including port and customs authorities, NGOs and local governments, to drive collective action. Collectively, we work to identify the root causes of corruption, co-create solutions and implement a range of actions that drive reductions in the number of demands. MACN's Collective Action Programme has been welcomed and supported by governments around the world who realize that a simpler and more efficient operating environment is good for all parties. Meanwhile, the tools shared among members have helped companies build robust responses to demands for payments. All of which means that when our captains bring their ships into port, they have the knowledge, policies and the backup to say no to demands and that in more and more cases, they no longer need to say no anyway. MACN, 
working towards a maritime industry free of corruption that enables fair trade for the benefit of society at large. Besides the MACN, of course, uh, who has only 156 members I've, I've, I've read, um, I can't wait to hear how companies in the Netherlands can protect themselves. So I give the word to Emil. Thank you, Lisette. Um, I'm honored to be here participating in this interesting discussion. First of all, let me correct a bit because I'm not so much uh, uh, representing the prosecution, of course. No. I'm more a civil law lawyer that is advising clients, also clients in the, in the Port of Rotterdam, of course, on um, uh, all civil law uh, related matters. And one of them is, of course, also uh, the employment situation within the companies. And what we see, and Eric already mentioned a bit, is that it all comes down to uh, the people who actually work and the people who are uh, uh, tempted and uh, have, have the opportunity to be bribed and to, 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 uh, to make the corruption and make the, uh, the criminal offenses. So that's one of the elements that I want to uh, address. Um, but first of all, we see, and that's also something that Eric already mentioned, um, it's an international environment that the maritime industry is working. A lot of legislation, uh, a lot of different situations in which uh, uh, companies can end up. Um, so I'm actually looked for a more uh, worldwide framework um, that may give some tools for companies, also in the Netherlands, but worldwide, to fight uh, the crimes and the corruption. Because there's enough reason for uh, looking at all the downsides like the fines and the exposure, the negative exposure for companies. So that should be um, uh, one of the starting points. Um, the MACN, uh, the Maritime Anti-Corruption yeah. uh, Network, is one of those um, more uh, global covering uh, networks in which uh, companies can, can, can join and can fight corruption. Um, but what I want to do is um, focus more on the UK Bribery Act. Because the UK Bribery Act, Eric already mentioned it, it has a uh, very broad jurisdiction. If companies are linked to the UK, having entities in the UK or doing business with other companies linked to the UK, uh, in a, a, a large uh, amount of the situations, there is jurisdiction to prosecute uh, corruption and other criminal offenses. And that means that uh, companies should take really good account with the fact that this may also be applicable uh, to them. Well, basically, uh, UK Bribery Act is also, just like all other legislation, uh, local legislation, is saying that had the, 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 the offense committed by uh, an individual, uh, then the individual will, be, of course, be prosecuted. But what makes it so special, the UK Bribery Act, that is that uh, they are also saying that if you, as a company, fail to prevent bribery, it is a corporate offense. So that means that directly you will also be in the well uh, nasty position of uh, the chances of being prosecuted. Um, so that means how do you fight uh, this situation in which you come to this position? And um, uh, we saw the clear message that the MACN is doing. Huh? We want to have yeah. a corruption-free uh, world. Um, and that's actually also the aim for every company in this situation. Mm -hmm. And how to do so? Um, well, UK Bribery Act actually also says that if you can show that you have adequate procedures in place, adequate procedures to prevent the bribery in your organization, then uh, you can show that as a sort of a waiver with respect to the prosecution. Mm -hmm. um, 
that's very small steps for a, a big situation, of course. But that's the main uh, element from the UK bribery act that we mm-hmm. should take into account with uh, fighting crime for the, the the Dutch harbor companies. Yeah, because we, I, I can imagine there is a thin line between personal and corporate crime. So um, how can companies at least protect themselves? Eh? Because it's it's like 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 it's described. It's, it's very hard if if one of your staff members. Yeah, commits corruption. Indeed, and uh, I think that that uh, that you uh, clear that directly. Uh, the thin line is indeed that uh, you can held responsible for the actions of your employees and for other individuals that working for you. So, what um, uh, adequate procedures actually uh, uh, contain is that there is a framework of six elements that should be taken into account. First of all, companies should have procedures and policies effectively implemented. Second one is that it is commitment from top-level management. Tone from the top is very important. Thirdly, a risk assessment, knowing where are the risks within your organization. As a fourth point, due diligence. Eric already mentioned, know how to contract with parties abroad, or do you know in any way who you're contracting with? Mm -hmm. Um, Training and communication. Uh, knowing and let your employees and all the uh, third parties that are uh, committed to your business know that you have these policies and uh, procedures in place. And for you, it's important to live by. Mm -hmm. And the sixth one is monitoring and review. Mm -hmm. So that you also look at it. We have everything in place, but is it working? Mm -hmm. Or do we have to uh, 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 change some of these procedures? Um, And people, employees... Uh, third parties, contractors, agents play a very big role in keeping this framework alive and keeping it uh, uh, to the to the situation that you really can get the prevention from it. Yeah. Okay. I I, I understand these adequate procedures, uh, but 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 can you mention a couple of policies? Yes, of course. Um, well, what we see, of course, is that uh, policies. Um, can be can be very different. First of all, most companies, at least the ones uh, that I've dealt with, um, and are really serious about fighting crime, mm-hmm. but also having other um, uh, elements within the organization that uh, they want to show which direction they actually want to have the company going. So that means that a code of conduct is actually key for every company that. Uh, is covering things like human rights, is covering like uh, we are not uh, 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 having any sexual harassment, for instance. So the the key principles within an organization that you would like to to conduct for everyone within the organization. That means also protection for the employees, Mm -hmm. but it also means that you show from top down that you really care and that you really committed to, uh, uh, to have... Um, uh, a good structure in place. So that's the first one, actually. But there are other policies, um, looking at whistleblower policies. eh? You you actually would like to have the situation in which all um, individuals involved, if they see a crime, if they see some sort of a corruption within the organization, that they don't look away, but they notify their um, superiors or they notify uh, third parties in, 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 in any case, um, so that it comes to the surface and mm-hmm. there can be dealt something with it. So you, it's all an awareness that will be created that 
corruption, crimes is not the thing that you want in your company. No. It's actually what the message that we also saw in the in the short video from uh, from the MACN. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our two two of the uh, the policies that at least and much more to deal with facilitation payment, uh, gift and entertainment policies. Yeah. Uh, so w- in which you structure um, how you deal with that with the, within the company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Th- to me, that sounds. Uh actually logical and ideal and eh, to have all these uh, procedures in place but uh, how do you make sure that uh, the, the tone of the top you know is 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 implemented yeah well good question because um, from my point of view it that is one of the starting points actually if you do not have commitment from the top um, it is very hard to have all the employees look in yeah. the same direction uh, one of the things, of course, is that you uh, join the MACM as a company. Right? Show that to everyone uh, that you have been listed, you've been registered as one of the companies that really cares and really wants to uh, push back to uh, uh, organized crime and corruption. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. The other things are, for instance, if we look at another element from the framework, is training and communication. If you are going to train your employees and uh, third parties, um, see to the fact that there is always a message from the top and that there is commitment shown also at that situation. So Mm -hmm. do not just throw some policies and procedures within the organization, but no, actually uh, uh, and actively uh, try to live by uh, those policies uh, and show that you also really care. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the tone from the top. Another thing, what is very important is, of course, your risk assessment. Really determining what are the risks that we are uh, facing. Eric just mentioned, uh, if you're doing business with uh, with Angola, it's not very high on the on the uh, inter- transparency international list. So you know that's one of the risk areas. So that can be if you're doing business with uh, with Angola, that's one of the red flags, as Eric already mentioned, that you should uh, bear in mind and you should do something with. You're one nil behind mm-hmm. already. Uh, so that means that, well, in soccer uh, terms spoken, you have to score twice uh, before you can win this match. Mm-hmm. So that means that your risk assessment is very uh, is very important. And it deals with situation within the company, it deals with situation outside the company in other countries. But you have to uh, really fix where are my risks. Due diligence, uh, what I already mentioned, um, with whom are you contracting? Eric also mentioned, how, how, how do you structure your contract with your agents? Uh, maybe also an agent in uh, a, a, a more corrupted country on the list of the Transparency International. Um, well, maybe even more reason to, to really fix that contract with that agent. Mm-hmm. And do you know who he is? Uh, are you hiring your employee from an employment agency? Uh, do you look at the, at, at the background of that employment agency? Is it linked to uh, a branch organization uh, of employment agencies? Hey, who are you dealing with? All those questions you must pose to yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, what I already mentioned, uh, monitoring and review uh, audits, internal and external, uh, uh, really know what the reason is that you put procedures in place. And are they working? Mm-hmm. Is it so that uh, access to certain um, um, uh, uh, territories within the company, are they clearly bounded or are they uh, for everyone accessible? Uh, so those elements are also very important to uh, to have good in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but but looking at, uh, you know, the corruption uh, in the past or the s- suspicion of corruption, um, 
I think it also comes down to the human factor, isn't it? So, yes. you know, how do we deal with that? Because, you know... Yeah, well... Um, you have to hire staff. You have to hire staff. Um, and uh, actually, that is one of the processes that you can also put into the framework. Uh, because um, uh, you know where uh, where people will have to work. So mm -hmm. it's also part of your risk assessment to know in which way you will have to uh, uh, let them to work. Huh? The, the accessibility of... Um, certain areas there uh, is the authorization uh, been been arranged for in a proper way but first of all let me see at three uh, elements the first one is uh, hiring your staff mm -hmm. the second one is during the employment how you should uh, uh, work with them and the third one is of course termination of the employment agreement looking at the first one the screening and hiring is very important mm -hmm. here in the Netherlands um, in most areas of Every, actually, all business, a declaration of good behavior, eh, a VOG, is one of the items that you can obtain and have some sort of protection against, well, a criminal past of the employee that you are hiring. Yeah. If we look at the, uh, uh, the, the sensible and, well, precautious situation in the Rotterdam port with all the drug trafficking that's taking place at this moment, and that's increasing, actually, um, the mayor of Rotterdam already mentioned, why don't we have a more thorough background check for every employee that is working in the harbor when hiring? Uh, just as we have uh, on Schiphol Airport uh, in the area behind the customs. So that's, that's something that we are working on. But it is for companies very important to have in mind that also the hiring process is, uh, is, uh, is, is one of the key uh, uh, aspects. During the employment agreement, uh, the communication, training I already mentioned, see to the fact that everyone uh, keeps on uh, uh, walking between the lines and is aware of the fact that they are also responsible for fighting crime. Huh? They, they have also an opportunity to uh, blow the whistle uh, if something goes wrong and that they are also allowed to do so and mm -hmm. that they feel free to do so. Well, if you can create that atmosphere for your employees, that would be, of course, uh, the best situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but when you have all these adequate procedures in place and you still have an uh, employee who, you know, uh, accepted a, a lucrative deal, mm -hmm. um, you know, if the employment needs to be terminated, what does that mean for the company? Um, uh, looking at the Dutch situation, um, if the employee gets caught, is uh, being sentenced or at least is being suspected from a criminal uh, offense. Um, in most situations, that forms a reason, sometimes even an urgent reason for dismissal. Mm -hmm. So that means that um, uh, an employer uh, can terminate the employment agreement. Yeah. What we see in case law is that it is uh, very important, especially with urgent dismissals, is that all facts and circumstances of the case will be uh, uh, will be uh, used in order to um, to assess by the judge whether it is a valid reason for a termination. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that one of the facts and circumstances is whether or not you have these adequate procedures in place. Did the employee know? Was he not being brought in a situation that could 
more or less be facilitated for him. Was yeah. he maybe encouraged by the employer to uh, help along? Hey, if you got the opportunity for someone to help the company, uh, for instance, what we just mentioned, uh, customs somewhere over the world uh, ask for a small payment to have uh, the transport delivery uh, being speeded up, yeah. for instance. So all those things are working together. And most of the time, uh, policies and procedures and the tone from the top and everything in the framework is very important to also show to the judge that the company has taken care of. And of course, the fact that you terminate the employment agreement as such is also very important to show, look, we see something happening and we act to it. Eh? So we dismiss, we terminate the employment agreement. Mm -hmm. But despite the fact eh, that, mm -hmm. that, that, that you can terminate an employment agreement, I, I'm just wondering, you know, how does it work in uh, uh, in the in the Rotterdam Harbour? And maybe, R uh, Richard, uh, you can uh, elaborate a bit further on that, because uh, I, I think there is a, a higher, uh, an increase of dr drugs uh, uh, transshipment in the Rotterdam Harbour. Um, so, you know, All, if, if a company has all these uh, procedures in place, how is it still possible that there is an increase? Thank you, uh, Lisette. Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you also for inviting me in this very interesting uh, discussion already. I, I, I learned a lot and also heard a lot of things that, that we encountered uh, during our research as well. Um, so, very briefly, on our research, we did we published in 2019, so it's almost two years ago, uh, just for the record. But um, the research focused on the one hand on, on, on the, the modus, what we call the modus operandi of the criminal networks, and on the other hand, it focused very much on the measures against drug-related crimes. Eh? So, so what kind of measures are visible in uh, in the in the Rotterdam Harbor, in the port of Rotterdam? Uh, what about public-private uh, cooperation uh, while uh, yeah, while trying to fight uh, the drug crime? So um, um, just a short reaction on, on what you just mentioned on the, the increasing number of uh, uh, drug imports from through the port of Rotterdam. We are not sure, of course, you know, what's 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 going on. So the only thing what we what you could say based on what we hear from uh, from out of the media or from the police. Is that our, uh, there is an increase in in the number of shipments that is uh, being uh, halted and, and destroyed? So, th so that's for sure. Whether there is more focus on the uh, um, on fighting drug crime or whether there is really an increase in the import of drugs, that's something different. So, I, I would like to be careful with that. Um, I think one of the things that um, uh, that comes out of our research. Uh, and is directly related to to, what's, to to the discussion right now is um, the question, kind of a question to why corruption. So there's a kind of a need for corruption, and you could say it on a very individual level that people are looking for money, they want to increase their economic position. Uh, but we, but and that of course that, that's always the case if you talk about corruption. That one way or the other, people would like to enrich themselves from their from their behavior uh, while being corrupt. Um, It could also be, on the other hand, not only based on a kind of an individual basis, but also on the, on the level of an organization as such. And so, of course, we also saw in the, in the past and also in the recent past that there are uh, companies that are really constructed uh, uh, to, to, to make up and to import cocaine. So they're legal, 
the shield is much more a shield to to do what a criminal in a criminal way want to want to realize. So that's one thing. Um, but I think what would be important for me to to stress is the fact that next to these individual economic needs, um, I think that the, that corruption, as we see it right now, is also a reaction on all these different. Uh, safety measures that we that we have been seen and have been taken in the last couple of years, the last decade, in Rotterdam and across all different uh, uh, world global ports, of course. And so you see in all these ports, the big ports, uh, 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 in a global perspective, that more or less comparable safety measures have been taken, and as a consequence of all these different safety measures. For instance, if you look at Rotterdam and the port of Rotterdam and the new, uh, the new, uh, new mass flux, a new area, there's, these ports are really, um, yeah, dominated by uh, by ICT, by by not so much by humans, but very much by technology. So for humans, there are still humans there, but if you compare it with, with a century ago or with the older harbor, uh, ports in Rotterdam, you see that the, you really see the diminishing number of people who are who are really involved in doing labor in these ports. So technology, to some extent, has taken over. This has, in a certain way, increased uh, um, safety, for sure. It, 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 for sure, has influenced also the the way that criminal drug uh, uh, importers are, are trying to use the, the port and have to use the port. And I think that one, as a reaction on the safety measures, next to displacement, which is also, of course, an important issue, the displacement of yeah, uh, using not only Rotterdam, but using other ports instead of Rotterdam, due to the technolo technological improvement, is also corruption. So it is, in a certain way, uh, 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 developed a kind of an urge for a need for corruption in order to 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 uh, to to concede to uh, to to continue with their uh, smuggling methods. So, but if you really would like to keep on importing drug uh, in, in large amounts, then you have to have someone on the floor. Yeah. Maybe someone on the floor who knows the uh, uh, the procedures, who has a kind of a knowledge about the risk assessments. We already talk about risk assessments, and of course, port authorities use risk assessments. That there's no secret. Uh, what exactly the content of these risk assessments is, is something different. But they use risk assessments, and um, and on the other hand, it's not only uh, public servants. It also it can also be people uh, working in the port uh, in, in different uh, private companies working and with specific knowledge on on the procedures, on the logistics in this port. On the other hand, it could also uh, 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 support entrance to specific parts of support. So it's, it's mainly about information and, and, and trying to gain access um, to areas in the port that are important for yeah, finding specific containers mm -hmm. where the drugs is in, uh, in hidden or uh, whatever the, the, the criminal networks are, are looking for. It's not only a matter of drugs. Uh, you could also say um, on a lesser scale, it's also important if you speak about uh, migration-related crimes, uh, human smuggling. It, it also has to deal with uh, with corruption in a certain way. Uh, so these are some of the things that I would like to to add right now. And I think that this corruption as is, is a kind of an answer to increase safety measures uh, is something that I didn't hear yet. And I think it's important to to contribute 
uh, to the conclusion as well, or to, to, the, to the discussion as well. Mm -hmm. and, and there's another interesting thing you said. Uh, it's something about the economic situation. So when there is a difficult economic situation, uh, there is a higher need for individual um, gain, may, maybe. So the, the risk of uh, corruption is higher. So in, in countries where there is a difficult uh, e economic situation, is that a conclusion that we can draw? Richard? Yeah, I think you can, to, to a certain degree, I'm always a little bit yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uncomfortable with these brand conclusions because there are also many exceptions, of course. So violence, for instance, or the threat of violence is also an important issue to deal with. So it's not always a matter of people working in the port, whether they are working on directly in, in, in the in the container terminals, or whether they are a member of the board of, of, of but there's not always an economic need. But what, for instance, the threat, or the threat, or the actual use of violence can also be part of this uh, of this problem and causing uh, corruption. But of course, uh, an economic need is an, is, an, is an important reason to to participate. And I think we are only talking about corruption, and, and now mainly from the side of the from the perspective of the company or maybe from the perspective of the authorities. But of course, you have all, also these criminal networks who are trying to fulfill their needs. So they, they have this, this, this logistic, big logistic operation, uh, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, call a kind of a pity operation, it's, uh, and, and at least also not in the direction of pity, corruption, major operations dealing with millions of, uh, of euros or it's about, it's about a vast amount of money, and they are trying to make their business, uh, although it be it a criminal business, but it's still kind of a business, they, they are making this, this as, as successful as possible. So in being successful as a criminal uh, importer of drugs, you really have to have, to a certain way, uh, extend at least uh, specific uh, people within the sport with specific knowledge mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. order to make their logistics possible. Okay, but then with the increase of, of new technology and with the uh, introduction of the European Prosecutor's Office, will that have an effect in abandoning, abandoning uh, corruption from the maritime industry? Well, the, the thing that I think, and, and we are not the only one who, who concluded, there are other researchers as well, is that there is a kind of a link between increased measurements on whatever scale, on whatever level, uh, and the response of the criminal networks and who, uh, who, are, who are reacting on these uh, measurements. And to some extent, one of the answers from the criminal network is increased trying to find someone on board that has the knowledge. So it would mean an increase of corruption instead of a diminishing. Oh. At the same time, I would argue, uh, you have to do it in a certain way, but you also, and I think that's where the, the I think the very useful information of Emil also pops on here, it turns in. It is very important to have this all these different different, yeah, awareness, uh, uh, training or whatever level, screening, um, uh, all the different things that Emil just mentioned, uh, who has to be there in, in companies, but not only in companies, private companies, also, also within the, the authorities that are dealing and that are working within these port uh, areas, uh, of course, and in their, their public-private uh, partnerships as well, uh, they have to be, uh, they have to be, yeah, um, how you call it, um, that have to be there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in that sense, um, and 
that's where I, I completely could follow. I think, I mean, I also in that sense agree completely with, I think that the, the propositions and the ideas that Emil just explained. One thing that struck me was that he very much explicitly focused on the tone of the direction or members of the board. And I would say it really has to be more than only tone. It also, it has also to be embodied and the tone of the direction is, is very important, but it also has to, has to be embodied in what they do. So, in fact, yeah, share or participate in specific networks. Uh, be there on the floor if there are courses um, uh, on, on awareness and knowledge trainings for what is corruption and what is in our specific uh, labor market segment, how, how can we be confronted with uh, corruption? What are our risks in doing while doing this work in being approached by members of criminal network and what and how should we deal with that yeah yeah because so, i can um, I, I, I can sorry to interrupt because uh, eric maybe you can elaborate on this a bit further because we we've seen there are incredibly high compensations paid uh, to employers uh, to to get the deals uh, so how how can we deal with that because it, yeah. that's Incredibly difficult to ban, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, I, I think it's um, important to to make a distinction um, because, as as Richard said, you know, petty corruption. How how can you call it petty when you know the the a criminal organization that is driving uh, is the driving force behind it um, has a multi billion uh, illegal uh, trade. Um, I, I don't uh, think uh, petty corruption in that sense is a good term because indeed it diminishes the problem of it. And as you mentioned, um, Lisette, in the introduction, um, you know, it's claimed that the Beirut um, explosion had to do with exactly that uh, type of corruption. So the, the um, consequences were enormous. Um, I think the petty corruption mostly has uh, to do, the petty part of it, is that it doesn't have to be about uh, high amounts of payments, uh, especially so if it's uh, actually the violence that people fear, then you don't have to pay a lot if you want to get your way if you're a criminal. Um, but. Um, if you look at the, the situations of corruptions in which uh, companies are indeed, um, well, actually um, in line with the, the corruptive demands because they will um, get the contract they want, uh, they, they will get to build new ships or, or whatever, um, then the thing is... Um, the tone at the top, uh, it's something that struck me. And, you know, both Richard mm -hmm. and Emil uh, mentioned this. Um, if you want to prevent these uh, major uh, schemes of corruption, it needs to be inherent to the company that they do not want to uh, participate in these uh, types of cases. And uh, and it's difficult, especially if you really want to to do the job, mm -hmm. to, to say no. Uh, then again, um, one should realize that um, in uh, the SBM case that we mentioned before, one of the measures that were taken uh, was replacement of the entire board. Yeah. So you can think as a board member, you know, short term, uh, I'll take the deal. But if it um, comes to, to a case, mm -hmm. uh, it will be the end of your career. So yeah. these are things, the tone at, uh, at the top, very, very important. It needs to be internalized. 
Yeah, but I, I think that's a really good example, especially in the maritime sector. What if the CEO or the CFO, you know, makes these high-profile deals? Because uh, if we're talking about dredging an island in Dubai, for instance, I can imagine these are very high-profile deals. The board, board is involved. But, you know, what, is the, what if you make the deal with the... Uh, The, the daughter of the king, for instance, of, or the ruler of Dubai, you know, you, you want deal, isn't it? And I think, uh, you know, I would sign up as well. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, if, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think um, uh, you, you, you're pointing out um, an, an area what maybe or probably is pretty much a gray area where ends normal, doing normal business and where starts being in a more criminal situation, a hey, more corrupted atmosphere. Yeah. And um, I think that is very hard to, 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 to describe that distinction. Um, I'm actually also curious what, what Richard thinks of that, because that's, that's more a, a, a almost more sociological effect that, that's taking place. Hey, what, what are you doing and what border are you crossing in order to get the deal done? Yeah, because um, it's it's you know it's it's why your your company exists, isn't it? You know, it's it's your main goal. Yes, and I think that uh, if we look again at the framework, what I was uh, uh, pointing out, um, you really must make clear for yourself where those boundaries uh, are. What what for you, from even an ethical point of view, is allowed for you to conduct your business? Yeah. Um, What's your position? How do you think about the world around you? What do you think is uh, is ethical and is lawful? Uh, and um, actually, with every step you take, uh, like there will be a contact with uh, not directly the, the the daughter of the king, probably, but first with another official within the, the company or the, the government. So that will be the first step. What? Who am I approaching? Who is approaching me? Um, what may be the consequences of that? And all part of the, the risk assessment, but also the due diligence. What, what am I uh, uh, ending up in? Mm -hmm. So every step, um, of course, it's very difficult because you see uh, the, gold, the pot with the golden uh, yeah. uh, with the gold on the end of the end of the road. But I think that is still a part of the framework that you really also should look at the boundaries and uh, mm -hmm. look at the situations in which you say, well, this is actually, we are going too far. Yeah. And it's very yeah. difficult to, to make that distinction, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. But uh, do we always have to refuse uh, luxurious dinners or luxurious treatments uh, in... in, in Well, uh, again, uh, I think uh, Emil uh, already touched upon it. You know, it's a gray area. But um, as a general rule, um, there has to be a, a logical explanation for uh, payments in business. That That's like the ground level. So mm -hmm. if there's a luxury dinner, well, that's not per se um, a situation of corruption. But if someone tells you that he wants a luxury dinner for his entire family and they would like to stay in a nice hotel and also he has a son who is in need of a career, well, maybe then, uh, you know, or maybe, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> you're <laughs> crossing you cross the line. The line. <laughs> um, so the thing is, uh, corruption, um, and as Emil said, you need to have... Um, defined your boundaries uh, and if you're willing to pay 10 million dollars for an uncertain um, amount of work to get a contract mm -hmm. 
yeah, you should redefine your boundaries because you're you're undermining the field because mm. that's not how a normal um, situation of competition for uh, for an, for a contract should work. No. It should be based on you know the qualities of your company as opposed to the quality of your competitors. Mm -hmm. And if you're not able to win in that field and you seek to pay to get an advantage, mm -hmm. that's that's the problem. That's why it's such uh, um, you know an undermining um, crime corruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said, just, just to interrupt, I, I just mentioned gift and entertainment policies. That's yeah, actually yeah, what yeah. this is about. Yeah. And uh, what you see in those policies is actually that um, uh, have for the different situations that you as an employee or, or even the CEO can uh, end up in, you can, you can make sure uh, what decisions he or she should make uh, at that moment. So if you see that it comes to just a dinner, Okay, then section A will be applicable and you do not have to notify. But if it comes to uh, the dinner and the uh, stay over with your whole family in a fancy hotel, then probably section B says, well, before you agree, uh, encounter your uh, superior or someone else from the, from the compliance department. Mm -hmm. And we will have to have a second check. We will have to have uh, four eyes looking at the decision you are about to take. Mm -hmm. That's one of the mechanisms that you can put in place, of course, to at least have some more controls over these situations that may occur. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Lisa, um, there's yeah. an, at least a remark from the audience that yes. this also might risk that a ship or something has to stay longer in port or outside port than necessary. You know, how to work with that, uh, to keep it workable. And then again, what do the companies should do then mm -hmm. if you find something like this going on? Because you're looking more at the in advancement of it, mm -hmm. but then, well, if it, if it has happened, is it, if, it, uh, if it touches upon your direct business, yeah. how will you cope with this? Yeah, yeah interesting. Um, not so easy to answer, of course, but um, uh, what we also saw in the, in the video of the uh, MASC is, yeah. is that you, you have to come to that point in which you will and you can say no. Yeah, and yeah, how to get there is, of course, uh, not something that, that will probably be, be, uh, be done overnight. No. Uh, it's a process probably to, to have this. And every situation, of course, is different. But I think for, from a company's per, uh, perspective, but also from a uh, perspective from uh, has someone, the, the captain on the ship, for instance, had, who has to make a decision, Every time, try to 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 uh, to realize what am I saying yes to or saying no to, uh, and and that's actually something that should be uh, uh, within your mind uh, every time you make the decision. And it's very hard. I, I directly understand that. But, uh, and yeah. to add to uh, to what Emil's saying, um, again, the the tone at the top, the tone uh, in the company should be very clear. So if uh, a captain can actually go to an official and say. You know, I cannot pay you because we have this policy that we're not allowed to do that. And I will have to notify, uh, you know, the, the main uh, branch and, and, you know, report this. This might already um, make it less personal because, you know, in shipping, mm -hmm. it's especially in, uh, in that situation where you're on the ship and, uh, you know, official is in an enclosed space and, you know, is able to to do this proposition if you um broaden the playing field be like yeah but it's this is a company-wide no then you have some backup then it's not just you and him it's i cannot do this i cannot yeah. do what you're asking uh, from me
Yeah, like to add to Amy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine it. Oh, yeah, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to add also something to this this, this specific discussion because, again, I would argue it's not only the tone; it's also very much the action of the men, members of the board or the direction. Um, and maybe uh, Emil, as well as uh, Eric, also mentioned it, but are, are, are pointing at that as well because I do think that there has to be a, first of all as a company. I think in every layer of this company, it has to be very clear about. Uh, what is ethical and what is unethical? Uh, when do we, when do we, when do we cross the border of of of, of corrupt, corruptive behavior and when not? So uh, everybody has some ideas, but there has to be a kind of a, uh, a general agreement, I think, within companies, uh, specific companies, but also broader within sections about when do we cross the line. And the second thing I would like to uh, uh, stress is also the fact that. If people, for instance, this captain that you are talking about waiting in front of the port, not entering, not knowing what to do, but in the end he, he thinks, okay, I'll withdraw. Instead of being, for instance, uh, uh, reprimanded or being uh, uh, fired, such a captain should be uh, embraced more or less by, by the board in that sense. So they, they, people on all layers have to be have to feel somehow supported in their action mm. by, um, yeah, by, by, yeah, by referring to their own uh, and company-like ideas about about corruption and what is good behavior and what is bad behavior. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one thing I think it's very important. So this awareness and this training on the on the risks on on, on all these different layers, I think, is very important. And people should really feel supported, not only by their direct colleagues, but also very much by those by their superiors, even if this means that they. Uh, show or illustrate behavior that is not in the economic goal, uh, that, that doesn't support the economic goal of the company, for instance. No. Uh, so that's that's a very concrete thing that I would like that. And, and, and a small thing or a big thing, I would say, a general thing is this general this idea about, because what I think is laying behind this discussion for, to some extent is a distinction between economic, uh, economic goals, economic profits, um, we all must must make a living, uh, uh, companies uh, as much as anybody else. And on the other hand, you have the safety and security measures in which corruption, of course, plays a role. Mm -hmm. And instead of, of of confronting these two, a lot of time, in many cases, you see that there's a kind of, there seems to be a kind of an opposition between economic goals and security and safety and anti-corruption. But I think it would be a very good thing if we could somehow stimulate a climate and also policies in which economic goals profit from anti-corruption measurement, in which economic goals and safety and security is much more united instead of being, yeah, each other's opposites. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, named, we, we named already many, many factors, but we haven't discussed the cultural differences. You know, some, in some countries, it's just normal human behavior yeah. to, to pay a, a fee. So, how, so, so will this global network help in order to make sure, or will a company policy help in order to make sure to say no to a cultural, good behavioral, Thing. Yeah, again, very difficult co uh, question, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it will. Um, hey. On the other hand, uh, to change the culture, culture of uh, a country, yeah. uh, again, that is something that, that starts small and will grow bigger. Mm -hmm. What I think is an advantage uh, of the fact that 
uh, also the framework, but also thinking about uh, the ethical side and everything that we just said, um, that may be uh, become uh, some of an, an, an oil, uh, how do you say it, an oily fleck, we call it in, in the Netherlands, oil spill. <laughs> yeah. huh? So it, it spreads out because okay. you're not the only one that is actually um, dealing with this matter. Mm-hmm. Um, big companies uh, will also um, uh, ask their suppliers, mm-hmm. their uh, clients to uh, follow the same rules. Uh, that means that it becomes bigger. Um, if in the end, in countries that are uh, more corrupt than others, is being seen that much more companies are taking that approach that will somehow lead to also a change of mind maybe in those countries. And that's something that we should aim at. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I can't mention it enough, the the, uh, the, the, the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network, if that grows and if that is hey, what, what we also saw in the movie, that they are uh, trying to, to, to get together with local governments, that will probably also help. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my answer, yes. Um, but again, not overnight. No, 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 no. I, I, I fully understand that. But to stimulate um, a fair global trade, it would be uh, important yeah. eh, that everybody yeah. accept these rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah Richard. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to think about, of course, the trade in wood, for instance. Eh? So that you see also a very... Uh, a global shift to to trusted wood to 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 honest wood as they call it. Um, so you can change these movements, of course. Eh? So the the, the 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 illegal tree or the, the corruption, you can of course uh, uh, try to fight them. And I can follow the argument of Emil completely. Um, what I would like to add is the thing that I'm not sure whether you should frame it as a cultural problem. Problem. It is much more maybe to do with fair trade. A fair, uh, uh, a fair dealing with each other and with lo- uh, with global inequality as well in that sense. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes it's too easy to 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 deconstruct it to specific cultures who are more corrupt than other cultures. I think the the, the main reason has much more to do with with global uh, inequality than with uh, cultural. Uh, mm-hmm characteristics in that sense. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, and I think also global judgments, eh? if you if you look at the sewage uh, channel at the moment, uh, you know, where we have, we're all watching uh, uh, what, what is happening there still, eh? because uh, the ship is still uh, chained. Um, yeah, I think uh, also the, the honesty in, in judgments, I think, plays a role. Okay, um, uh, Linda, do you have more questions? Uh, because we're already an hour uh, on the way. So uh. yeah, there was one maybe might be nice, but especially because Richard and Emil also talked about it. Is what could countries do if they have a lot of a, a little lower uh, score on this transparency index? Is it possible to them for them to enter this uh, maritime anti-corruption network, or how can they cope with this to, to order to show that they are yeah. working with it? Yeah. yeah, very good question. I actually not aware whether it is possible for countries to enter the MAS, MS, MASC. Me neither, I do not um, know but they whether can the... see cooperation. Yeah. Yeah. That that for sure is a possibility. Yeah. 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 So I'm not sure that yeah. is. Yeah, maybe. From a criminal perspective, I would argue it is not very smart to exclude them uh, in in that sense from these kind of uh, uh, organizations. And whether you fully uh, make them a fully member is something different, but you really should of course, engage with them and try to improve 
yeah, their 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 rules and regulations in that sense. It's like with the new European Union members, eh? they they still have to work on specific issues while being a, a member or while becoming a member. So in that sense, exclusion would be a very wrong thing, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I was just thinking about it once more because if I understand the question correctly. This is a country actually that sees itself very poorly on the rankings wants and wants to improve. Yeah. And of course, that's yeah. a sign at itself, of course, that there is improvement uh, possible and, mm-hmm. and that they really want to, 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 to make improve because probably they see it is also a big downside on the fact that they are uh, actually being poor, so at the poor, yeah. uh, poor level on the, on the, on the index. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that creates actually already the awareness within the country that something should be done about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the, the momentum, uh, you know, uh, it should be, uh, are the specific laws in place to, to be able to counteract uh, instances of corruption? Um, and then it's, it's also uh, the enforcement. Are officials that are trying to do yeah. uh, stuff, uh, are they being um, brought to justice? Uh, and it's, it's the awakening of the sense that it's not the way you want to um, uh, behave as a country, countrywide. That's that's like the first major step in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, before we... Uh, we have nearly come to the end of this uh, fruitful discussion. Uh, unfortunately, there is uh, a lot of questions to ask. Uh, but I have one last question. If the introduction of the in, uh, European uh, Prosecutor's Office... Um, is that the only step which should be made uh, besides, you know, putting the code of conduct, of course, in place? Um, is that uh, all companies can do to protect themselves? Or is there more enforcement necessary to give all the panelists the chance? And, and I, I will give you all the chance to respect, to, to respond to this. So... Should the enforcement be uh, more fierce? I think Richard already said something about this. Yes, and, and that's probably also his his area to be to be more professional on. Uh, I think than <laughs> than mine. But um, uh, I find it very interesting what he said actually about the fact that um, more enforcement may even cause yeah. the downside, and, and yeah. that it may even lead to uh, uh, another probably more or maybe another way in which. Uh, criminal organizations will uh, 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 will turn to uh, to have to to just they have to do their business. Yeah. At least they don't have yeah. to, but they do. Um, I don't know. I really don't know whether that, from my point of view, I cannot oversee uh, whether that would be a good idea or not. Mm-hmm. We of course talk in the Netherlands a lot uh, about uh, having more police officers in the streets, and yeah. uh, because that gives a sign of of safety, security. Um, from that point of view, I can imagine that this will also have a positive effect if there will be more enforcement. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, but whether it will also have a down, uh, head downwards decreasing effect on the, on the amount of uh, corruption, uh, I cannot predict. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, more enforcement is necessary. Um, again, you know, different types of corruptions. Uh, as far as the, the cases go that I discussed in the beginning, like yeah. the large corruption, yeah. I think there's quite a lot of enforcement already. And as a general rule, if you uh, look towards criminal law as uh, a way out of uh, societal problems, 
you're making a mistake. Um, you should uh, go to the, you know, the cause of these problems, and and that's mostly what Emil spoke about, you know, make sure that companies are invested in banning corruption, make sure they have their measures in place, uh, because then uh, that will lead to a decrease of corruption, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just to go yeah. to this refrain of, okay, uh, we'll, we'll uh, have more enforcement, higher punishments. Uh, history uh, taught us that that's never really the answer. No, no, no. Uh, er, uh, Richard, do, do you have some final conclusion about this? <laughs> some final conclusions? Um, no, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's already been a lot done in yeah. terms of enforcement. So, in the end, you also have to have you, you also have to have the people that can really enforce it. So it's also very much about manpower. And yeah. I think that there are lots of rules and regulation, and also lots of enforcement. Uh, going on already, but what you see also that uh, the very pragmatic reasons is are much more important in fighting this corruption than uh, uh, than than what is available and what people and uh, what enforcement can do. So in that sense, I wouldn't be um, uh, immediately in favor of more enforcement. Uh, I agree with Eric about the diversity of corruption, and I think one of the things that maybe isn't hasn't been stressed enough, at least not by me, not not by me, is the idea that. We are really talking about uh, international elements. So it is, not, it is not something that's only very locally. So these local issues are very much related to global issues and global processes. So I think that cooperation, and that's of course a process that's, the process that's already uh, started uh, uh, some decades ago, but that global cooperation in terms of fighting corruption is very important. And of course, we all know how difficult it is to cooperate in this field, in terms of privacy, not only, but also in terms of interests and goals. So, but I think that's, that's very important. So Rotterdam as a city cannot fight corruption in the Rotterdam part alone. No. It has to cooperate with all these other part cities as well. No. Um, so in that sense, that's one element. And the other thing is, yeah, if you talk about root causes, um, and we didn't point on that, but if you talk about this so-called pity uh, corruption, if you relate it to, to, to drug crime, uh, I think there's also a question of a demand for drugs. And so on the one hand, you have these criminal networks that are trying to import them, but they don't import them to distribute these uh, drugs for free. No, they, they have a huge market of selling drugs. So this demand is also in the root causes of, uh, of this corruption in the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think uh, th this, this brings us to the end of uh, this masterclass. I, uh, I think we can uh, easily conclude that it's very difficult to ban corruption, uh, especially in the maritime sector. Uh, solutions are fluid, um, what we've seen. And, uh, but I, I, I do think we have heard uh, that awareness uh, uh, is a very, very good step. Um, and uh, I, I like to thank uh, Eric for explaining um, the vulnerabilities of our sector uh, and to make us uh, aware that we have to make deals in a safe way. Um, 
And I want to thank Emil for all the tips uh, you made on uh, for organizations and uh, for staff, how to protect ourselves uh, in this maritime sector, because that's very, very necessary. And thank you, Richard, as well, for sharing your insights uh, from, the, from a criminologist uh, uh, perspective. I think uh, that's very, uh, vo uh, very valuable. Um, uh, to, to keep ourselves uh, savvy. Uh, the, detain the temptations are fierceless and it's definitely not easy to uh, protect ourselves towards uh, corruption. We've seen in the public sector and between governments that there are, are already many differences in approach. But uh, with the tips today, we hope you can keep our organization or your organization safe. And in case you are uh, a suspect, uh, make sure you call professional help uh, as the uh, risk are very high. Uh, we've seen the com um, we've seen that the com um, compensations are very high uh, uh, towards corruption. Okay, we think. Uh, RMSC for organizing this masterclass. Thank you very much, uh, Linda. Uh, we thank you, uh, Richard, Emil, Eric, for being here today with us. Uh, and we thank the Erasmus Studio for giving us uh, such a great atmosphere uh, to uh, uh, do this discussion. Uh, we thank our audience for watching. And uh, you can hear this uh, masterclass again uh, in our podcast uh, on ASL Law and Business, uh, and it will be broadcasted on Spotify. Thank you for watching.